0: Something to say that might cause you pain If I catch you talking to that boy again I'm gonna let you down And leave you flat Because I told you before Oh, you can't do that Well, it's the second time I caught you talking to him Do I have to tell you you down.
1: Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. We have a board operator who is without her voice today. And so I got, and I barely got mine. Uh,
2: So enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah,
1: really. (laughs) Anyway, we're, um, this is from the Hard Day's Night album. So, having lived through the Beatles... See, I would have been about eight years old when this came out. Maybe actually seven. But... The Beatles actually, by then, did a movie called Hard Day's Night. And they were starting to have cartoons with the Beatles characters in them. And that got to be a big deal when they came out with uh, Yellow Submarine. And... Uh, and I remember going down to the YMCA on Saturday mornings and uh, to, to go to swim lessons. And they would have this TV show on, and it would be showing Beatles cartoons and stuff. You, you, you can't really, unless you live through it, uh, you can't really describe Mania. It's like that was the main news item. Uh, would be where the Beatles were playing a new song. They'd come out at one point. You know, of course, everything back then was top forty, so everybody listened to the top forty. I mean, there were times when the Beatles would have six songs in the top ten or twelve songs. Wow! You know, every single they made would go gold, um, and so of course, on that, that was a beef. That was a flip. That was a B side of a of a single i don't know what the a side was but it came off the hard days night album which you know all their songs even the b sides were pretty tight and well done and of course john uh lennon is the one singing on that one so you know it's i don't know it's just a little bit of a venture back into the past and uh i all all of those songs one one sounds a little like another one but that kind of song would be considered uh very politically incorrect these days that he would be talking to his girlfriend like that like without me you're not gonna be nothing that's politically don't look at me funny uh like that's that's politically incorrect Okay, uh, what we try to do here is get behind the the news cycle. Sometimes, in terms of uh, in terms of the uh, what's going on in the market, uh, I can tell you, having been in the investment business for a long time, that sometime in the maybe the late eighties, early nineties, uh, there was a woman named something Domini. D-O-M-I-N-I. And (coughs) she really began the uh, push towards, quote, socially conscious investing. It was a tiny slice of the market back then. (coughs) Wasn't very big. And uh, it was... A thing that because it was so niche, uh, she ended up buying some things and she had incredible performance because uh, she would buy these funds and she, she came up with her own um, screens to determine whether they were socially conscious or not. And so naturally, uh, the, the sector grew it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And then you've had uh, this huge uh, awareness of green and things that are supposed to be helpful for the environment. Of course, we're beginning to find out that they're not. Just Google the wind farms in the ocean off of Long Island and the dead whales that are starting to, wash up on the beach but the uh, mainstream media is so invested in the narrative that they're not going to tell you about it but there are a lot of these funds that are called esg environmental social and governance uh, and now it has come to dominate the uh, the whole scenario. And so since it's now the thing that everybody does, it's no longer cheaper or quirkier or sort of out of the way. You know, the way you eliminate risk in this business is to buy things. Nobody else is chasing because then the price won't be too high. So we were in a seminar yesterday that was for realtors and, one of the things that one of the guys, a uh, guy named Ben Allen, smart guy, he's with uh, the brokerage, which is a big uh, real estate concern here in, in uh, Lexington, started by Greg Back and, and, and some of his family. But um, what Ben said was where you make money in real estate is when you buy it. Because you buy it At the right price. Well, I would argue that that's actually true in investing also. You know, when you buy something has a lot to do with whether you're going to make money on it or not. And if you're buying uh, one of these green funds that has stuff that's marked up in it, and and then they're charging you high management fees for making it green, since it's kind of a specialty thing, you're already kind of under the bus from the get-go,
3: right? Well, just think of it from a, an operation standpoint. If, if the ESG funds are supposed to invest in uh, companies that have a certain ESG score, well, that ESG score should be standardized. And so all this money, because there's been, in the last five years, $64.6 billion dollars um that's gone into ESG strategy funds. So if the ESG ranking is standardized, you have all this money that's coming in to buy a limited uh number of stocks that qual that quote unquote qualify for this. So like you were saying, so if you have all this money chasing a limited number, then the price goes up and to some degree the degree the qualification is subjective that's right it is and um, when you look <clears throat> the he, this article he he looks at the the correlation between ESG funds and just regular S&P 500 index funds and approximately 68% of the fund is invested in the exact same thing that a regular S&P 500 index fund is. So the correlation between a quote-unquote green fund and an index fund is very close to one.
1: But you're paying more in management fees for the green fund. And you're
3: paying about three times the management fee for only 30% of the portfolio that's different than an index fund.
1: Are there ESG ETFs?
3: There there
4: are, yes.
1: Are they... Do they have higher fees or lower fees?
4: Higher than a standard index fund. Yeah. And, and
3: so this goes, we've talked about the ESG funds for, you know, the last few years. But, like, we always kind of come back to, it's a money grab. It's a marketing ploy. That's all it is. Um, and it
1: Same thing as annuities, really, in a lot of ways.
3: Yeah. It, it's, it's a product that Wall Street is selling. Um and uh they get companies to buy in because they've done studies too that a lot of companies that uh talk ESG, they they mention ESG more when they miss on earnings than they do when they beat on earnings. Really? Yes. Uh,
1: they blame it on ESG or
3: no, they just talk about how they're, they don't necessarily blame it on it, but they will say, we're spending this on ESG or we're doing this as ESG. Uh, but kind of as
1: like, don't be too angry with us. Cause look at all the good stuff we're doing.
3: Exactly. And, and that just statistically they've, they've done the studies and that, that has been the case. They mention it more than they miss on earnings. Um, But you know the you look at the largest holdings in most of the ESG funds, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, United Health, JPMorgan Chase, those are the same ones the largest holdings in the S and P 500 index fund, right? Or just the index. Um, So it's a money grab. It's a marketing ploy. They wouldn't do that. (laughs) They would, and they did. They would, and they did. Um, No, Mike, (laughs) I disagree. (coughs) <coughs> no, but it's not really but part of the underperformance when you're comparing it to the s&p 500 is because of those extra fees obviously
4: um you know they're doing sure. the
3: same thing you have higher fees your return is going to be lower if you have essentially the same thing
4: yeah when you you know so as you said when you look at the holdings of these funds these funds tend to overwhelmingly invest in tech and uh, healthcare and biotech and things like that and uh you know, we just saw what can happen when you get too concentrated in in certain areas. Tech has underperformed and the so-called non-ESG stuff, oil and gas, uh, you know, commodities, they've all outperformed over the last two years. So, you know, I I think investing, uh, if you are doing investing for the sake of investing, then, you know, it's best to stick to, you know, not... uh, uh, these hypothetical subjective ideas, but, you know, just what something is worth and what the, you know, long-term purpose of an investment is. Uh, so, <coughs> you know, again and again, we see the, uh, these uh, uh, funds which are just pure uh, marketing, whereas uh, they, uh, they don't necessarily, uh, you know, even beat indexes in the long run.
3: I think a misconception that a lot of people have, too, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, that I don't want to invest in something because I don't want to give them my money. Right. And remember. You're not doing that. You're not doing that. You're you're owning a share of the stock. Unless you're buying it in the initial offering, you're not giving that company your money. Now, you could say, I don't want to own it because I don't want to take I don't want the profits to come from that business. That would be accurate, but you're not giving, giving that company your money. Um, you're buying it in the secondary market. You're not buying it in the initial offering. Uh, there's, there's a a big difference between the two. Um, so the other thing is what's interesting. Any ESG fund is going to avoid
1: energy because it's fossil fuels. And that's been the best performing sector over the last year. So, you know, I would argue that a lot of people invest in something that's ESG or some other designation not to make money, but to look like you're doing the right thing. Right.
4: I was watching an interview of this investor. His name is Monish Pabrai. He's like a big Warren Buffett guy. And someone asked him about ESG. And he said, you know, ESG is well and good but instead of uh, you know putting companies in different silos where oil and gas equals bad maybe a better way to do this is to see if the company despite what whatever industry they're in is trying to uh, you know uh, improve on some of these metrics which matter to people so even if it's an oil and gas company, if they're actively trying not to pollute the environment or reduce the amount of pollution, then maybe they should get high ESG marks. Right. But that wouldn't fit the
1: narrative. Exactly, right. Because they're trying to do away with certain types
3: of industries. Right. Well, and I think the other big thing is it's a it, they're, they market it as a one decision uh, instrument. And the thing that's... Uh, challenging, fun at the same time, uh, frustrating, um, is that this business investing it's, it can never be a one decision thing. No, you always have to be testing your thesis on what you invest in, why you invest in right. it. Um, you, you, you can't say bar nine, I don't, want to own this sector. I will never own this or that because things change and opportunities present themselves. And if you're so set on one particular mindset, one decision then you're going to miss out or you're going to get, get hit by some of these things. And so, I mean, that's with me, I'm, I think everybody would agree. I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. Like I am the epitome of a creature of habit, uh, no, and, so. but that's that's what keeps it, th- this business so interesting is that you there there's no there are certain rules it's it's there there are laws of finance that have to be followed, but when you're thinking about an investment, you always have to keep your mind open and always go back and say, okay, well, why did I think that initially, and then check yourself, uh, and that's that's why we have a team and to help us all get better
1: yeah and and everybody has their own um strengths and weaknesses and you know that's that's why we do what we do in a in a committee type environment let's go to this article beneath the surface the fed sees sees no let up in inflation pressure um something wrong uh, anyway, I think that the Fed, talking about being invested in a narrative, um, I think the Fed is the, the reason they don't see let up in the inflation pressure is because they get numbers and readings from things like employment today that sort of defy those ideas. This guy that's the head of the Federal Reserve, I don't think he's really what I'd call brilliant. He's not like his former boss, Nick Brady, was. He's very conventional. He's not going to be known so much for what he did on his own. He's going to be known for who he imitated, in this case, Paul Volcker. But each um, – each decade has different challenges and you can't just fight the war you're fighting by looking back at what somebody did 40 years ago.
4: Right. Um, You know, I mean, one of the things you mentioned is uh, just the the data that the Fed looks at, you know, that by itself seems to be somewhat uh, outdated because when we look at you know, what's happened to various commodities which are important inputs. So natural gas, for example, is down 72% from its high in just a few months. Uh, crude oil, as of today, is around 75, 74. So we ask... Well, but there's no computers that run on natural gas, are there? <laughs> well, there are... The, the stuff that runs those computers is, uh, draws from natural gas to generate right. the electricity. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, th- th- there is data, current data which shows that, uh, you know, inflation seems to be dropping. I think the fed is concerned just given how slow they were to react to higher inflation, that they are again going to blow it by, uh, you know, letting up on it at this stage. Uh, but they risk overdoing this and causing, you know, harm to the economy at some point.
1: Yeah, I don't know how much harm they're going to cause because they've been raising rates now for six months, roughly, yeah. and you get a stronger jobs reading than than you've had in a long time. And I think their biggest nightmare is they they could raise rates to eight percent. And it not change anything, you know, or there that the, right. are significantly higher than they are now. And the other thing is the bond market has acted like in many ways, nothing's going on. The bond market did not sell off based on their quarter of a point raise yesterday. It sold off based on the higher than expected
4: jobs print. Right. Um, yeah so i mean you know i think one of the the main reasons why even higher interest rates are really not uh, impacting the economy uh, much at least uh yet uh, we know that there there could be some lag effects to what the fed has done so we'll know that in a few months but i think the the economy is extremely extremely strong uh and one of the reasons is that we've just had a very, very poor and slow growth decade, uh, you know, since the financial crisis. And there was a lot of pent-up demand that was built up, whether it be homes, automobiles, all kinds of things, which people just postponed. And now we are starting to see right. that demand come back. You've taken me right up to the edge. got to go.
2: listening
1: to the top free yeah, to show. Even with no voice, she can't entrust it to me. Tom Dupree Show. Now, this is another song that came out in 1964. By the Dave Clark 5. And I'm gonna tell you, you talk about the Battle of the Bands uh, in I'm I'm like seven or eight years old, but I remember this stuff because there were these teenage girls that live next door and, and I was friends with their younger brother and we'd go over there and they were always talking about the Beatles and then the Dave Clark Five and I used to go over to Johnny Merritt's house uh, at, and when I was in like uh, third grade and we'd listen to his brother's uh, 45's after school and his brother had Beatles Dave Clark five real early Rolling Stones and kinks. The kinks had a song, uh, out back then. I'm trying to think, what was that first kinks song? Uh, they've been around forever. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm back into the city. They might've actually been around before the Beatles. Uh, and, uh, Trying to early kink songs. Uh, oh, I know what it is. Let me send it to you. Uh, girl, I want to be with you. Let's see. Here we go. All right. I just sent this to you, honey. You, you can play this. I mean, nobody wants to hear about investment stuff. <laughs> No, hold on. All right, I just sent it to you. Anyway, the Kinks, so it was like the Beatles, the Dave Clark Five, the Kinks, the Rolling Stones, all English, and they were fighting each other hand and fist, and only one really well-known American man, the Beach Boys. Remember this song? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. To be with you in the daytime.
1: And this song kind of made a comeback Girl, during the punk.
2: All of the time.
1: I think there were some punk bands that, that did this song. Yeah. But it, it's from like 1965 or 4. Girl, I want to be with you all of the time. And all You can hear Ray Davies' voice in there, you know. And this was probably pretty edgy back then, wasn't it? Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. They had hair down to here. And, you know, we're going from buzz cuts to now getting what they call the Beatles haircut, where they would just let the hair grow out and you put a bowl on somebody's head and and just shave it off like right around the edge of the bowl. Yeah. So, anyway, that's the Kinks. Played the Dave Clark Five. I don't know... The Rolling Stones back then, they weren't really a factor that much early on. All right. The best investment idea is also the most obvious. A lot of people don't realize, and this is James McIntosh out of the, looks like the Wall Street Journal, that, okay, we've had a very precipitous rise over, I don't know, the last 12, 14 months and short-term interest rates. And even now, some folks aren't completely aware of the fact that they think, well, you got to do a bank CD for, you know, 16 months or 18 months or whatever to get the 4.5%. Actually, you're starting to see it come into money market funds, and whereas cash, cash, cash-cash, For really years, hadn't paid you anything. I mean, money market interest rates have been close to zero for 10 years or more. Yeah. And that hasn't changed much. Well, son, it's changed in the last year. uh, Because now we're looking at a, a trailing yield of one and change but now you're getting to a forward yield of close to four percent and this is on a money market fund where you don't have any uh uh, constraints as to when you take your money out you do it with a cd and you take it out early you might have to forfeit some or all of your interest Mm -hmm. and therefore you would have not earned anything but with a Money market fund, you're getting daily accruals. You can uh, take it out whenever you want to.
3: Right. Well, and uh, because it's been such low interest rates for so long, the market either isn't believing it hasn't digested it yet you look at uh well
1: and it hasn't caught up into where people are seeing it on their statements right. that their money funds paying them 4% and that's nobody's right. really advertising it only people advertising it are banks on CD
3: rates yeah that's right and but you look at uh a rated <laughs> bonds like apple and berkshire bonds those are yielding uh, on average uh, four point five four percent for how long? Uh, these are. Uh, let's see. It doesn't say the the duration on those, but three three month three month yield. Uh, let's see. No, so okay. Federal T bills are five or four point five four, um, and basically the yields on the double A bonds are. Uh, Almost right right on, top, right of on top of it so you're you're the market the market does really stupid stuff sometimes
1: well you'd be much better off buying a treasury anyway if you were buying it in a taxable account because it's not you don't pay state income tax on it
3: right but so the the market let's say duration the same you know the market's looking at is thinking that interest rates are going to go down, and so they're owning these. So the market, the market doesn't believe that interest rates are going to stay where they are, and that's why you're seeing the longer term go down. Yeah, like
1: that. and and the the rally and, but people in tech and and in bonds to some degree, except today it's not doing it because the jobs report was a big print, and this is on Friday we're recording this, but. Uh, one thing we have seen is this tremendous snapback in tech. I'll give you one example. You have to really call Tesla a tech company. It's it's a car company, but it's really a tech company. Um, early January, it was trading for one hundred and eight dollars a share. Right now, it's something over one ninety. So it's 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 run up eighty two plus or minus points in about thirty three days, thirty four days. Um, that's that's one of the biggest jumps I've ever seen in a in a big large cap company, but it's happened to many others. Facebook, also called Meta, has made a big move, huge move,
3: twenty plus percent yesterday yeah Thursday.
1: And, and 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 so we've
4: seen a big big move will tech pull back so i think when you put that the recent move in context what we saw last year was just a relentless sell-off uh in across the board in tech large cap tech small cap tech and then towards the end of the year uh, i think there was just this you know uh Uh, people were just trying to sell off whatever tech they had. They kept waiting for a bounce uh, with the intention of perhaps booking some losses so they could, you know, write off their taxes. Uh, And we really had this major, um, uh, deep, uh, oversold conditions where... You know, normally when a market is dropping, you'll, you'll see a few days uh, of uh, the market drop or an individual stock drop, and then you'll see a bounce back or a sideways move. But in in the month of December, we just saw things selling off. Right. And uh, you know, when the tax loss selling season ended, um, and uh, when the new year started, I, I think when people no longer could sell stuff to uh, claim a tax loss. Um, we saw the snapback. So, so far, even though the rally has been powerful, the NASDAQ uh, year-to-date is up 15% despite today's drop. Uh, you know, the ARK uh, ETF, which is uh, mostly small small to mid-cap type tech stocks, uh, high-growth stocks, there are some large stocks in there too, is up uh, 35% year-to-date. Uh, so, we've seen... I guess you could call it some sort of a reversal to the mean, even though it's not—it's nowhere close to the mean. Despite the snapback that we've seen, because Arc was down close to eighty percent from its peak at one point, so it would take a lot more for it to go, go back to anywhere uh, close to where it was early last year. Uh, same thing with Tesla. I think Tesla peaked—I um, think it was close to five hundred at some point—and then uh, we saw almost a. No, Closer to 400. 400, yeah. So we saw a 70-plus percent drop. Right. uh, Which means that, yes, these reversals are powerful. uh, But, uh, you know, it it depends on when you bought. If you never touched any of these stocks last year and if January 1 of this year was the first time you were buying them, then, yes, you've, you've seen a tremendous gain. Huge move.
1: And that's the thing. Somebody will say, I like that stock cause they bought it at 20 and sold it at 50 and somebody says, I don't like this stock cause I bought it at 50 and it's dropped back to 20. You know, your, your experience with any given investment is always
4: based upon when you bought it and what price you paid for it. Same thing uh, with, you know, the tech bubble in the year that peaked in the year 2000, uh, we know that a lot of those stocks are still not back to where they were in the year two thousand twenty-three years later. Uh, but had you bought some of those stocks uh, in October of two thousand two, when you know the Nasdaq dropped eighty percent, you would be way ahead in a lot of those right. stocks. So a lot of it, you know, depends on where you bought. Um, so if you do have a lot of conviction in a stock, then you know one way to do it is, uh, which can be highly risky, is just to keep averaging down. Uh, and, you know, bring down your cost basis, but you better be sure that the company that you're averaging down in is a company that's going to survive and thrive.
3: I saw a, uh, se- several uh, uh, research reports they did on timing in the market, uh, different things, <clears throat> but one of the biggest factors on, quote-unquote, success in investing um, is the decade you're born. Know, something you have no control over right. but it it matters a lot the decade that you're born and you know what those returns were and uh, especially your retirement uh, and the sequence of those returns um, and so I mean there's 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 an art and there's a science to investing just like with anything. Um, but then you're dealing with real world and it's just no different than if you're born during a period of war or peace. Um, you know, that's, that's the higher power than us, but it, it has an impact. There's, there's an element of, if you want to call it luck as to when you're born and what those returns are. Yeah. That's if you're an index investor, that's right. But if you dig deeper,
1: and do your research, and maybe even look at shorting something. Oh, my God. And I, I thought I'd never talk about that on this show. But some people do it and do it wisely. And they, you can be short something without actually being short something. You're just avoiding that sector, and you're buying something that's got better valuation. And if you can do that and get good at it, then you can make money in any market. That's right. Because it could be expensive, cheap what have you. If you're long only and you're just buying plain vanilla type stuff, you're going to be pretty much given what the market decides to That's give right. you. Yeah. But if you're, if you're able to do some research and dig in and look at things or invest for dividends, even though the thing isn't going up and look at the compounding effect,
3: just of the dividends that can be amazing. Absolutely. And that was, uh, we had a, a good question, uh, that seminar, uh, the guy who was asking about the rule of seventy-two, which was you know right. your your the money doubles roughly every ten years if you're averaging seven percent a year, um, <clears throat> but it was just it was a great conversation on you know compounding, just the the basics of long-term investing, compounding and um it
1: It becomes bigger over time than the original investment the compounding part gets a lot
3: bigger yeah the compounding can be yeah it can be multiple several
1: times what you initially put into into initially
3: put into it and and therefore the income stream can be multiples over a long period of time but it's it it it's the time it's your overall time frame it's your mindset to be able to invest through the good times, the bad times, and to see opportunities in the bad times. That's, that's the now, key. You have to be able to look at things that are kind of
1: ugly and find something good about it. That's what – actually, that's what an artist does. If you think about what is art, an artist comes into a, a, a sort of a disorganized mess – and makes some kind of order out of it. So in a sense, you could argue that investing has a degree of art in it. It's got science in it. It's got math. It's got business sense. It's also got a little bit of art in it, too, because you have to conceptualize this thing getting better when all the empirical evidence tells you it's not going to. That's the thing about, like, Tesla the other day. You know, we didn't didn't see it. We could have seen it, but we didn't. But it was going to turn because you
3: almost had to have a sixth sense that it was going to turn. You're talking about an artist making something ugly into something beautiful. Real briefly, I uh, uh, watched an interview of Victor Wooten. He's a bass player. Oh, yeah. uh, Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones, a phenomenal bass player. But he was uh, giving this guy a lesson, and he's (laughs) telling the guy on the guitar, play this little riff, and Victor was playing with him. And, he's, and he was playing something in in tune, in the in the same key as this guy. And then he goes up and he hits wrong notes. And then he can t- keeps playing and goes back to this groove. And he, he stopped and he said, all of you here, you were just kind of watching, saying, oh, that was nice, that was nice. He said, when I played that wrong note, boom, you all stopped. I had your attention for two seconds. And then I went back to the groove and all of your heads started doing this. yeah, Started bopping. He said... It's taking that ugly piece, making it fit, and turning it into something that works really nice. And and that's the art of music, of painting, of investing. That's the art of it.
1: You got to take something that has a funny little fold that doesn't seem to fit just right, and figure out how to make it fit. And there, that's yeah. true of personalities too. Yeah, people that have what some people would say would be a disability. Actually, they have a little wrinkle in their personality. They can see things that nobody else can. That's right. Exactly. You're kind of like that. I am like that. (laughs) Nobody's saying anything. (laughs) So, Elizabeth, you know, she can't talk, but she'll try anyway. Um, You know, the the, the thing of it is, this business
2: (coughs) –
1: one of the things we said to the to the realtors yesterday was if you're an independent contractor realtor doesn't matter how big a firm you work for you are a small business person and what does a business do a business is an allocator of capital that's what we do we allocate other people's capital we have to allocate our own capital you are busy making what you hope are wise allocations of the capital that has been entrusted to you in that sense. Our business is no different than any other business out there. And if you are an investor and if you're listening to this show, there's a really good chance you are an investor. Doesn't matter how small or how large you're a small business in that investment operation and your job is to allocate capital, to properly put capital, i.e. money, could be time, effort, you name it, intellectual effort into the things that is going to be the most profitable.
3: That's exactly right. Um, Allocation of capital, allocation of time, um And to efficiently do that, um, you know, have somebody that you can trust, you know, bounce ideas off of, uh, talk to about it. It's very hard to do, you know, to efficiently do things on your own. A group of people, if they're in a good
1: place, will typically make better investment decisions. Yeah. in allocation decisions than one person just banging it around in their head. That's right.
2: Wrap it up, Tom.
1: Okay. So you've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show. This is hour two. Stay tuned for hour three where we're going to solve the problem of money. No, not really. You've got to stay tuned and listen. It's the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio, 6.30 WLAP.